welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. Tonight, we are covering Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So, Chumpzilla, play us in. Godzilla King of the Monsters ahead. Welcome back, as I said, to Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by RevengeOfTheFans.com. It is the 24th official episode, and we are covering Godzilla King of the Monsters. And uh, before we really get into the plot and break all that stuff down, I am here with Chumpzilla, who you may remember from our Starship Troopers episode. He also gave us that wonderful... Blue Oyster Cult intro. Chumsilla, go ahead and introduce yourself. Howdy, howdy, howdy. I do my best. I try, I try. So, uh, Captain Cash really wanted to be a part of this episode, but he's mired in the con crunch. He's doing like six costumes. We're only going to the convention two days. So this is this should be interesting. Uh, so he'll be back for our special san diego comic-con live from show next week uh as i said godzilla king of the monsters um not great not a great film well and you've got uh, captain cash is the king of the cosplay so at least he's pulling some weight there that's true Put, putting in the effort general description of this movie the cryptozoological agency monarch who if you've seen kong uh, skull island You'll immediately recognize that. Faces off against a battery of god-sized monsters. Now, that's an interesting way to phrase it. Uh, Including the mighty Godzilla who collides with Mothra, Rodan, and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed King Ghidorah. That was their description. What would your description be? One sentence description here. This was Kramer versus Kramer with monsters. Yeah. Pretty much. Actually, you know, this movie reminded me a lot of the central narrative of Batman versus Superman, except not nearly as good. It even wow. opens wow. with the apocalyptic event where a tragedy happens to one of the main characters who then spends the rest of his life hating Godzilla or Superman, as it were, in the other case. You know, um, I'll just a quick aside here. Um, this movie has a lot of problems and I think probably the most tragic of them is this was probably Millie Bobby Brown's like big break on the big screen, like her first big break, you know, riding the, 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 the uh, fame wave of uh, stranger things. And this is kind of a dud. Like I, I think she probably wanted her career to take a different arc than this. This is not going to be a good, uh, a good, uh, milestone on her, uh, IMDb page. No, it's a it's a big dud, uh, considering. And, and actually, she's one of the better actors in the movie. She's she does as best as she can with the little she was given. Yes, and the humans are given very little. And this movie has an excellent cast, which I'll get to in a moment. Uh, my one sentence one sentence description: Moronic planeteers activate an evil monster from space because apparently they didn't have a few moments to Google him. 
and he then attempts to destroy the planet rather than reshape it. That's solid. That's solid. Because it, you come to find out, obviously, King Ghidorah, if you're a fan of Godzilla, Monster Zero, he's from space. He's sort of the antithesis of Godzilla. He's there to destroy. But they activate him, thinking he's the alpha predator, which I guess he is from a different planet. Uh, but th- they don't know that he wasn't from this planet and that he's only on this planet to destroy it. Although another character figures that out in about 15 minutes, an hour and a half into this movie. Uh, yeah, well, Eric um, from Billy Madison. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I will say, yeah, you, you nailed it. The human characters are the weak link in this pick by far. So before we get into that, brief background. This was a 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, not the be-all, end-all, 310 reviews, but that's 34% worse than Godzilla 2014, as well as Kong mm. Skull Island. It has, Ouch. It has only grossed $382 million total worldwide. Apparently it's on pace to lose a substantial amount of money because of marketing costs and everything what, else. What was the budget? Budget was over 200 So according to Wikipedia, so again, you can take that for what it's worth, the break-even point for this movie would have been around five hundred and fifty million, and it's not getting there. So, I, I, you know, in uh, preparation for this podcast, I rushed out to see this movie on Friday, and I was in a theater with six people on a Friday afternoon. There were six people watching this movie. It was it was embarrassing. I've never been to a movie that was this poorly uh, attended before. Like, I felt real awkward. I'm not gonna lie. To this movie's credit. Now, I, we both saw it basically at the end of its theatrical run. There was more yeah, people in my screening of this than there were at X-Men, Dark Phoenix, and the second weekend of that movie's release. So I Ooh. guess there's that. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, so it's all relative then. Yeah. So directed by Michael Doherty, also co-wrote it. Uh, he's had a hand in the writing of X2, Superman Returns. Uh, Trick or Treat, which if you haven't seen it, it's kind of a small horror movie, and I would highly recommend it. And there's another one coming out pretty soon. Uh, he directed Trick or Treat, and he also directed Krampus. I haven't seen Krampus, but got decent mm. enough reviews. So I think it's safe to say this movie was sort of a sizable step up in terms of scale. And that's... I don't think it's necessarily directed poorly, but certainly... It's it's far too bloated, and there's a, at least 20 to 30 minutes of human character time that doesn't need to be in this movie at all because they add nothing to the proceedings. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, you know, not being well-versed in the mythology from the, the previous film, and I realize there's some characters that, or multiple characters that carry over. Uh, I got to the end of this movie, and I didn't know the vast majority of the human characters' names. Like it just wasn't important to the film. Like I, 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 I probably should have cared about them, but at the end, I, I didn't. I was like, okay, so is Godzilla all right? What's going on? Uh, they did a very poor job of of building any kind of like uh, interaction or, or, or uh, you know, relationship with those human characters. Yet they focused most of the film on them, <laughs> and I, I, I didn't know who they were. Well, I mean, you basically had like you know Ice Cube's kid, and there was the there was the tough the tough lady soldier. I mean, they had archetypes, 
but you didn't know their names or care about them. Like they had roles, you understood who they were, but then it's like, who was that? Am I supposed to care about them? What happened to them? I'm not really sure. It doesn't matter. Where's Godzilla? It's really unfortunate because Kyle Chandler, uh, Friday Night Lights, he was Friday Night Lights, Game yeah. Night, great actor. Ken Watanabe, who returns from 2014, Dr. Ishiro Sirizawa, fantastic actor. Uh, Bradley Whitford, well. a.k.a. is Chumpzilla mentioned Evil Eric from Billy Madison. Vera Farmiga. Uh, Sally Hawkins, who mercifully got the boot quite literally pretty early in the movie. Uh, Millie Bobby, My Prerogative Brown, which again, this probably was expected to be a springboard for her, and it's it really is not that. Again, I, I, she she did her best with with what they gave her. I'll yeah. give her that. And, Which and wasn't they, much. They did try and kind of pour on the, the dramatic sort of arc for that family because Vera Farmiga plays her mother, Kyle Chandler's her father. What, what, what do I know Vera from? What, what like I kept thinking she was I kept thinking she was somebody I knew and I couldn't quite place it. Have you ever seen Up in the Air or The Conjuring? No. The Departed. Uh, yeah. Uh, She's Matt Damon's you know, I, girlfriend in The Departed. She's The Departed. Uh, George Clooney's she, love know, interest in Up in the Air. In Up in the Air, yeah, and that's with that's with Anna. Who's the uh, Who's the young Anna Kendrick? It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. No, I kept thinking. You know, honestly, I kept thinking she was. Um, uh, I kept thinking she's one of the Arquettes. Yeah, it doesn't matter. She does look like, a little bit she, like Roseanne Arquette. Ro- Roseanne Arquette? No, not Roseanne. Roseanne. Patricia. Uh, Patricia, yeah, she was she was Alabama in True Romance, right? Yes. Yeah, that that's that's that True Romance. That's it. I appreciate it. you walked me through that the whole time. I kept looking at her. I kept thinking of Ethan Hawke, not Ethan Hawke. Uh, uh, what's his face? Um, uh, Christian Slater. Not Jack. Christian Slater. Yeah, wow, that stings, man. That hurts. Okay, yeah, Christian Slater. Yeah, and uh, Val Kilmer is Elvis. Okay, moving yeah. on. So the new annoying Verizon guy, Thomas Middleditch. Silicon Valley, that's probably the main one. Of course, the, also those... That, that guy was just thrilled to be there. And you could tell. Like, he was like, this is my big break. I am big time now. I wonder if he's a fan, because he, he seemed to be geeking out the entire movie. Uh, Charles Dance, fantastic actor. Tywin Lannister. David Stratham, he's from the first movie. But yeah, this cast is just totally wasted. By the way, uh, interesting fact about O'Shea Jackson Jr., he is now the third member of on-screen NWA to tangle with a kaiju or monster uh, because really? Corey Hawkins, who played Dr. Dre, and Jason Mitchell, who played Eazy-E, are both in Kong Skull Island. Oh, wow. but that is quite the fraternity. Yep. So there you go. Everything comes full circle. I guess so. So... We both agree this movie, not great. It was really disappointing to me. I'm a huge Godzilla fan, as I've mentioned many times over. Mr. Wizard, let me ask you here. What was your first exposure to Godzilla and the, the kaiju movie genre? So when I was a kid, very young, I would rent 1933's King Kong from the public library uh, few miles from my house basically on every vhs weekend. yeah on vhs every weekend excellent so that excellent. led me to godzilla and i'm you know full disclosure 
King Kong is my guy, but there's also far less King Kong movies. And so as a yeah. kid, like you come to realize like, oh man, there's, there's a ton of these Godzilla movies. So I saw the first one, of course, the Americanized version with Raymond Burr, Perry Mason. And yep. then from there, I just kept going through this catalog because, you know, by the time I was watching them, there was well over, I mean, there's maybe close to 20 of them that you could find and watch and couple does for sure so i uh yeah no i not quite as cool no no library connection for me but um growing up i uh, my grandmother bought a new television and i was gifted her old uh console set and it was wheeled up to my upstairs bedroom with bunny ears on it and i used to get like the uh the, the saturday afternoon the matinee movies and one of the frequent features on you know local cable or a local broadcast that is were Godzilla movies. Between watching reruns of uh, Star Trek and these Godzilla movies, I got I, I, I was I was hooked. I thought they were great. These giant monster movies they were awesome. So I would like you know basically book the time to watch these on Saturday and Sunday afternoons to watch these crazy movies. Uh, and yeah, that that's when I got hooked. I thought man, they were they were great. Yeah, they were on. Uh, they were on a lot more when I was a kid, and so I yeah. saw a lot of them naturally that way. And then I began to uh, collect the VHSs. At one point, I had them all through 1995's Godzilla vs. Destroya. But by that point, I was kind of. I think I was losing interest because movies were starting to use CGI. The rubber suit effect was uh, not as cool to me. It, you know, into my as I'm becoming a teenager as it was when I was a kid. Uh, well, let's be, let's, let's be honest. You know, the, you know, wasn't, wasn't great at times. No, definitely not. Yeah. As you got older, you know, they didn't look as good. No, they don't. And I actually turned one on the other night, Thursday night. Uh, I'd, I'd seen this last Sunday. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to watch one just for old time's sake. And it was pretty brutal to get through. And I have the it's nostalgia, rough. so rough. I can enjoy it. But if you didn't watch these when you were a kid, like you'd think people were insane for enjoying them. Yeah, and I'd like to point out that it definitely influenced my uh, playtime as a child. I would go out in the sandbox, and I would station my army men around, and I would use firecrackers and other pyrotechnics and try to blow up installations and knock the little green army men around. Cause in my head, I'm seeing Godzilla do the same thing because I, I, you know, you're right. The practical effects were cheesy. They weren't that believable, but man, I tell you what, it translated well to play in the sandbox. Like that inspired me as a kid. And I, I, re I really enjoyed it. Like it, it, they knew their audience in the, in those yeah, 50s, I mean, 60s and 70s movies. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm guys, a sucker for practical effects. Yeah. I'm a sucker for practical effects. It, they, they can look bad, but at the end of the day, you realize that's a guy with a miniature, that's a guy with models. It's awesome. Now, in the 70s, uh, Godzilla became more of a hokey character. Uh, it was what it was. Like, it was almost like a, uh, a serialized TV show. It was the monster of the week. Godzilla shows up. He's fighting a giant crab. Godzilla shows up. He's fighting a giant spider. And he became a hero. Now, the original vision of Godzilla was he was created by man 
and this is what man had wrought by creating weapons that were so devastating and of course that in order to destroy him they had to create something even more devastating so this movie is very self-serious which is kind of 2014's was as well but it's kind of weird considering this is supposed to match up with Skull Island which is not at all self-serious and it's just kind of a big dumb monster movie and it's like well now these two are supposed to fight these movies don't feel at all the same yeah they don't quite mesh well I'd like to point out religious in this movie was a little over the top. Oh, very uh, alien versus predator. Let me tell you how much I dislike that scene where they go to the underwater pyramid and found out that he was worshipped like God. Well, n- not just that. I mean, okay, so that was clearly Atlantis, right? I mean, spoiler alert. I... So Atlantis worships Godzilla and he recharges there. But no, yet yet uh, you had the scene with uh, King Godira with the uh, with the cross, and they also had the uh, the the Blake uh, you know red dragon painting. Yeah, you know illusions. Uh, so clearly he's the devil. Okay, you got Godzilla, who's fallen and has to be resurrected. So there was a there was a hardcore Jesus vibe going on here. I'm sorry. Godzilla was the savior in this movie. Okay, you had the devil. You had that very BVS. This movie. You have that. You have that scene uh, with uh, 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 Gurdjieff up on the mountaintop with the cross in the foreground, and he lo- and he's looking like a, a you know a demon with the red brimstone background. And and then they've got to uh, you know they've got to resurrect the fallen uh, Gojira, who is the king of the monsters. And I would add, could be also considered the king of kings <coughs> to come save them. I, I thought that was really heavy-handed. I'm not going to lie. Like there, there was some Judeo-Christian mumbo-jumbo going on there. And that was sort of my larger issue with it, because a lot of this is all from, this is the human stuff, where you're spending a lot of time with these people. And I don't care the movie's serious. I think Godzilla should be taken seriously. I think King Kong should should have been taken more seriously than Skull Island treated him because I think the story of King Kong is a very tragic one. And that one is kind of like, oh, here's John C. Riley yeah. and he's the comic relief. And I like that movie, but it's not 1933's King Kong. It's certainly not Peter Jackson's King Kong either. Say what you will about that movie, but it, it still has the tragic element to it. You, you make a good point. You make a, a good point. At the core of the original material, both King Kong and Godzilla are extremely political or, or socially conscious at the very least. And that's a fact. I mean, the, the, the King Kong story is, is uh, it's an American tale, and there's a lot of, of uh, racial bias there that has to be addressed. And there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, world history and social uh weight that goes with the, the Godzilla story. I mean that that's a very intimate tale for the Japanese. I mean he is the physical embodiment of the threat of nuclear war and they're the only country effectively on earth that's ever had to deal with the aftermath of, of such attack. Yeah, he is the ghost of this tragic past that will resurface yeah. to keep reminding them that 
it's almost like the effects of nuclear fallout they don't just go away you know as we no. know you know and he keeps popping yeah, it, up it, because it, it, it's a it's a monster that humanity has awakened and now has to manage yeah so i didn't mind any the serious stuff what i minded was this film just didn't know when to let plot points happen it's like okay we got to resurrect godzilla so they go down there and they're like, oh, shit, yep. our weapons don't work anymore. So now this has to happen. And now this has to happen. It's like, no, we already got to that. Just go from here. You don't have to keep one-upping the stakes because by the time we get to the end, it's just like, all right, end the movie. I've had enough. It's like he loses. He, he's back up. He loses. He's back up. It's like, just end it. I can't take this anymore. It's like, yeah. and then, you know, they save him. Oh, now he's... He's uh, combustible. You got to get out of there. And then this person's got to sacrifice themselves. And this has got to happen. It just was way too much, man. Yeah. No, you're right. They kept trying to layer the challenges on top of themselves. Like that's this and this and this and this. and it really doesn't. It doesn't add up. It doesn't amplify the effect. It just fizzles in the end. Especially since you have no real connection to these human characters. So when they, I, I don't know. I, I don't know their names. Yeah. I, yeah. It's. When they inevitably have to, you know, some something happens to one of them. You're like, okay, I don't really care. Like, should I really care about the doctor who unleashed this plague upon the earth? Yeah, yeah. I, I need I need a little bit of help here, uh, uh, Mr. Wizard. Um, so, in the beginning of the movie, you've got the monarch folks that are basically pro Titan, which is what they call the 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 you know the super beings. Saying like, "Hey, we need to understand them better. They're not all bad." And then you've got the government effectively backing the military, who want to destroy them, and they're trying to talk them out of that. No, no, no. We need to understand them and 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 work with them. We we don't we need you know killing them would be the wrong answer. You know we need them. There's balance. Yada yada yada. And then it seems as though Monarch somewhere midway through the movie all of a sudden gets the full support of the military and like am, am, am i confused there i i feel like they're at odds at the beginning of the film and then all of a sudden everybody's on the same page halfway through and the soldiers and well i think that is a result of them 86 and godzilla by mistake again very bvs they shoot the nuclear warhead at the two things that are indestructible and only one of them dies. So for, first off, I believe that was the callback to the original film, the oxygen destroyer, correct? That was, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, which which I appreciate because I'm a sucker for nostalgia like that, but I feel like, yeah, to your point, like the, in the end, it was a nice callback, but it made no sense. So, so what you're telling me is basically the government felt bad for that, so therefore they cooperated the rest of the movie because that was not clear. To the casual observer maybe it was a partnership born of necessity but at the same time in this situation where there's a lot of monsters in this movie so the description says rodan and mothra uh, there's a lot of monsters in this movie but they do not get a lot of screen time they don't but they're you know they're apparently wreaking havoc throughout the the world because Ghidorah, who's the alpha is commanding them to do so i get that within a you know say a primate system the alpha male sort of rules but this is across the world so him like commanding them to do things like around the globe really made no sense 
Yeah, and they said something silly. Like, there's like, what, 37 sites or something ridiculous? I think there were 17 sites. 17, okay. 37, 17. Uh, I only recognized a handful of the monsters in this movie, Wizard. You you had Rodan, you had Mothra, you had Godzilla. Like, who were the other guys? Because there were some that I just, I couldn't place. I didn't necessarily see him but apparently Gamera is in this movie he's not a Toho monster he was a competing monster and I think Kumanga was in there which is the giant spider from Son of Godzilla the mammoth I saw the spider the, yep. the woolly mammoth I think is a creation they came up with for this movie because from what I read they didn't want uh, King Kong to be the only mammal mammal yeah uh, obviously, no kidding. There's a lot of references to Kong, who, by the way, by the time this movie happens, he'd be old as hell, because the other movies in the 70s. Skull Island gets name drop on multiple occasions, if I remember correctly. Multiple occasions, yeah. And I guess, you know, I I really got to go see it again. Just for, I I'll see this movie again because I like Godzilla that much, and I do have issues with it. But there is a lot of cool monster stuff, which we'll kind of get to. Uh, but I did have a question. Now, based on the numbers, right, Godzilla 2014 earned 529.1. Kong Skull Island earned 566.7. So this is close to 150 million less than 2014's movie. Are we even going to get King Kong vs. Godzilla? Because they really lay it on thick that there's this other monster out there who's also an alpha, but he's staying out of this. I'd like to point out they also in the post credits sort of indicate there's there's a alternative path too for the next uh, uh, sequel. So I mean they've clearly got plans here. From what I understand, there was plans for two sequels. I guess counting this and another, but not counting King Kong vs Godzilla. Oh, I, I, yeah, I think that's happening. I think I mean I, I agree with you. That's definitely the direction they're heading because that, that I'm assuming. The studios and the folks, you know, with the, with purse strings, think that's an absolute moneymaker. Now back to my uh, BBS comparisons. I said it last week. I love Batman versus Superman. One of the main issues with it for a lot of people, right? It's too much too soon. This movie is the epitome of too much too soon. Why we couldn't just get a straight up sequel where he fights, you know, another monster, smaller scale. Let people really get start to enjoy the universe. This movie threw everything at you. And I think that was sort of to compensate for 2014 really not showing Godzilla throughout most of the film. Mm-hmm. It was very tease-heavy. It was a methodical movie. And then, of course, the ending is just awesome. This one's like, all right, screw it. We're just going to... Here's all these monsters. and you know. But then they waste them because then you're stuck sitting in vehicles that are apparently like bouncing up and down because they're shaking the camera and people don't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, there's like 15 scenes of where a car gets kicked and they're like, oh, and they shake the camera. And it's like, it's like, you know what? At this point, a monster would have stepped on this car. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the sub scenes are the same way. Like I said, it, whether it's a car or a submarine, you know, just it's, a bunch of people reacting inside of a cabin, bouncing around. Yeah, it's humans in a confined space looking panicked. As the camera shakes and sparks fly from different panels. I think watching this movie, the biggest 
deficiency that I recognized was that it didn't have a signature moment. There were several attempts to give Godzilla, you know, entrance into the frame and musical cues and sound effects and all that to try to like, you know, announce his arrival, but they, 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 they never nailed it. It was always kind of muted or rushed or whatever. I feel like it just didn't deliver that signature Godzilla moment. You know, like when I think back to this movie, I can't think of a single thing that sticks out like, oh, that that was it. That was Godzilla. It was awesome. He showed up. He kicked ass. They had a very good idea. And maybe you can help me out here, Mr. Wizard. I enjoyed the musical cues when his atomic breath was charging up. That was and you cool. got the the keyboard notes that followed up his spine as he, as the, the uh, fins lit up across his back. That was cool. The scaling as it builds to this crescendo, he's about to use his, his breath, his fire breath. Yeah, that was awesome. I, I, you know, and, and to me, like that was cool and it was unique, but I, I feel like they still didn't capitalize on it. There wasn't like a, I'm thinking like comic book wise, there wasn't like a two page splash panel of that happening. It just didn't, there was, there's no signature moment, you know? I think he got shortchanged out of the monsters in the movie. Rodan actually had the coolest monster moments, which I'm going to ask you about in a second. And King Ghidorah gets pretty, I mean, again, the BBS thing, he yeah. generates body parts, by the way. He, he emits electric pulses. Yeah, so I'd like to point out that yeah, he gets he gets the best screen time and is probably the most dynamic of the monsters by far. And I think it was Eric from Billy Madison that points out that oh, he's not like nothing we've ever seen before because he regenerates one of his heads. I mean, you're living in a world of giant atomic lizards and the guy regrows a head and you're in- instantly like, "Oh, yep, yeah, he's an alien." Cuz that is something that can't possibly happen on our earth. Yeah. I still don't yeah. quite grasp why he made that jump. Like, we've got giant walking lizards and giant moths and all this other stuff that's going on, but he, he that, you know, uh, grow, regrows one head and it's like, oh, and that must be from another planet. Yeah, no way he's from here, even though that uh, giant bird just came out of a volcano and he's on fire. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, you know, wrecking stuff with his wings. Even though this giant moth just birthed out of a waterfall, no way. And spit webs everywhere, and I, I, I enjoyed that. I'm like, that's a huge leap, but okay, let's go with it. If you are a longtime Godzilla fan, you will. There's a lot of like awesome music riffs, but as Chumpsilla was saying, they mm. don't really. There's no signature moment for them. They just happen. No. But you will recognize the Mothra music, the original Godzilla score, some of the later Godzilla score. So they infuse all that stuff. But excellent musical cues at times. But yeah, you're right. It it doesn't it doesn't do enough. You think like, oh, here it comes. Like now he's about to lay lay the smackdown on this guy, and this is it. And then it just kind of falls flat, and you're like, wait, it's still going. You just use that music for him to lose. Yeah. You know that happens like multiple times. Like, the Mothra music's totally wasted. They just use it as Mothra appears. You know what? As much as I want to say Godzilla got shortchanged here, I think Mothra also probably got equally shortchanged. She was basically forced into an extremely uh, uh, backup secondary role 
in the end. Like she starts off as the focal point of the movie and then she kind of disappears. And then she comes back and it's it's pretty brief. Her effort is impactful, don't get me wrong, but yeah, I, I feel like that was yeah, I feel like that was kind of weak. And I'd like to point out um, one of the characters, I can't remember her name, uh, the, the female doctor that helps Friday Night Lights out. She talks about being like a second or third generation monarch. And she shows her family pictures. Is there not a flashback there of her with like some sort of twins in her family? Is that not um, some sort of uh, reference to the Mothra twins? Did I catch that or am I making that up? No, that was them. In fact, her twin sister is at the the site when Mothra comes out of the waterfall. But even then, like of how over stuff this movie is and how over explained a lot of things are, it's almost confusing if that's her and they're suddenly at this site, you know, and then you kind of like, oh, she has a twin sister. This this movie over explains everything. They don't bother to explain the things that matter. I mean, again, I sort of caught it, but you're right. It's like, uh, I'm not sure what just happened there. So one of my main questions, because this movie's, as we said, full of <clears throat> gigantic monsters, throwing down, destroying stuff. Uh, we already noted Godzilla kind of gets shortchanged. I think he has that awesome moment where he blows the fire into the sky, but that moment means nothing. It's him like puffing his chest. There's nobody else there. Yeah. So which Monster Mash moment wowed you the most? Because I have a pretty definitive one. I, I really enjoyed when uh, Mothra stuck Rodan. Yeah, st- stabbed him. It was kind of a cliche moment. Um, you know, it's sort of like a, a, like a fake out and then like the, the stab. You know, th- that's, a, that's a cliche movie deal. But... I enjoyed it because I didn't know Mothra could do that. Like it was kind of like it was telegraphed, but because I wasn't expecting Mothra to have a stinger, it caught me off guard and I thought it was pretty cool, but it was cheapened. I will say it was cheapened by Rodan appearing later and just having a little, you know, puncture wound on his chest. Like it wasn't a big deal. I thought that was pretty cool when, when in the moment. I'm like, wow, I did not see that coming. That that actually surprised me. But anyway, to sorry. The, to the point we've been making, like, she stabs Rodan. You're like, oh, Rodan's dead. It's supposed to be this big, dramatic moment. Like, she's hurt. She saved herself. But all those big moments. She pulled, she pulled something amazing that we didn't know she had. I, I didn't know she had a stinger. I mean, help me out. I, uh, Mr. Wizard, I don't, I don't have the same breadth of knowledge that you do. In canon, does Mothra have a stinger? Well, I think her her limbs were just more dangerous in this movie. I thought I thought that was one of her legs. Oh, I thought no, 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 no. That's a stinger from her thorax. She nails him with it, and then the follow up scene is her retracting it, pulling it back in. So no, I don't think she had a stinger. Okay, me neither. That and, and to me, that was cool. That was cool. Like kind of like X three or X twenty three. That is in Logan. You know, with the with the toe claws. You know, she got defensive and she pulled something out of her ass, literally. Yeah. Now, to your point, though, I mean, it ends up not meaning anything because Rodan comes back and bows at the altar of Godzilla. Which, which again, that was cheesy. That was cheesy. Yeah, all that was pretty bad at the end because it's like. I, these monsters are all different species. 
So I get that they're titans, but that's a moniker given to them by scientists. In, like, animal nature, like, they're not just going to bow to Godzilla because he beat this other monster. Because he's not of their species. He's a completely yeah. different animal. That's besides the point. So what I... What, the monster moment I loved... Now, as strange as this may sound, because Rodan in the old movies is kind of like one of the worst characters. I loved when Fire Rodan just took on the fighter jets. The movie was kind of yes. really slowing down, and then here comes Rodan, and he's just mowing these jets down. The guy ejects out of the seat, and he snatches them out of the air. I thought that was a really yep. cool scene. Now, this movie's that beautiful. Was brutal. This movie is a beautiful movie. Some of it is a little too dark. At times, you're right. I think they definitely, probably for the sake of budget and effects uh, expenditures, went with the, the hazy, cloudy environment for a lot of the the, the CGI effects, and it kind of hurt the film. It was kind of messy. It was dark. It was gray. It was blurry. Especially that last scene. This this ultimate fight between King Ghidorah and Godzilla. There's a lot In going Boston, on. Yeah. yeah. And, You've also got to deal with the human element of it, which, you know, again, we didn't we didn't care, uh, and it really distracts from this huge monster fight that's going on. So, the wow moments they're just not there because you think they're yeah. going to happen, and then you get cut to like a car driving around and people panicking, and it's like just show the monster fight. I don't care what happens yeah. to these people at all. They didn't spend nearly enough screen time on the monsters and I can only assume that's for budgetary reasons. And, and I'll add that there are many scenes in this movie because they focus so heavily on the human element. They have to bring the human characters in close physical proximity to these enormous monsters. And I, I can't help but think they don't, the visual effects don't account for the massive scale of the monsters. You know, the humans are standing right next to them, and there's all this carnage and destruction going on, and those folks barely, like, you know, bounce off of their seats. Or the water they're in barely moves the vessel, the submarine, whatever they're in. The, the weight of the monsters is not realistic. Like they, they, they go to great they go to great lengths to try to put these human characters and this and the stupid inconsequential human narrative in the same frame as these giant monster fights but they still feel like they're being one's being done in CGI and there's being filmed on the back lot the scales don't match up the green screening was just too obvious because I'm trying to say and that, that really that really took me out of it because you look back at the old school Godzilla films, and the practical effects, you don't, you're not, you're not given that uh, luxury. You can't act in front of a green screen. You got to either be in front of the the stuff going on in the background, or it's in a control room away from it. Yeah. You you don't get a layer one on top of the other without them being realistic, I guess. Now Boston's evacuated, whatever. But there's so many moments in this movie uh, where these monsters are committing insane amounts of destruction, and there's almost no real account for the cost of human life. Well, first off, first off, one of the worst moments in the movie is when Ice Cube's son 
says something about like if y'all were my parents, I'd run away from home too. And like, what'd you say? He's like, I said if if y'all were my parents, I'd run away from home too. Like home. It's like a what kind of movie is this? And they, they flash forward to Millie Bobby Brown trying to run into their house and the front door's unlocked. <laughs> I'm like I'm like, okay, okay, wait a minute, hold on. There's a lot going there's a lot going on here. You know, but all of a sudden this turned into a John Hughes movie. And by the by the way, they don't live at home. For like for like thirty seconds it turns into a John Hughes movie. You know, you, you get the bad you get the bad joke from the parents. And she runs home when the doors, the front door's unlocked. Now I realize Boston's falling apart. I would have felt better if the door had been crashed in and she just pushed her way in. But no, she runs up to her her town home and the front door's just open. Her town home that she no longer lives at, because right, her, yeah. her and her and mom and live in some remote lab where her mom is scheming to ruin the world. This whole movie was basically you know Kramer versus Kramer with monsters. So, but regardless. Yeah, that, that really bugged me. That, I mean, that knocked me out of, uh, of the movie for a second. I'm like, that was a cheesy joke. That was really bad. And the front door is wide open. What the hell? There are a few really cheesy jokes. And by that point, I guess I was just like, I wanted the movie to be over. I was really disappointed in this movie. I was hoping for a lot better. You know, but sometimes you see bad reviews. You should just expect it. Yeah, all six of my theater mates made it through the whole thing. I was impressed. Nobody walked out of this movie uh, in my theater, but people walked out of X-Men. That's a true story. But then again, when I, I went I, and saw Endgame, people walked out of that too. So Maybe they'd seen it really? before. Yeah, I, I, three or four people walked out of Endgame, which I thought was like really surprising. I mean, you know, a theater-going experience is so anecdotal. Like, I went and saw Batman versus yeah. Superman, and people were applauding. Like, it was just like a standing ovation. And then, of course, you'd never know that from the way people reacted to that movie. But yeah. my theater had so much fun. And then when I saw Endgame, like, nobody reacted at all. And, of course, that movie's, like, yeah. beloved, and people love it. So I will say this. I thought Far From Home was extremely stupid. It had, it had its issues. I'll just, I'll just say that. And and everyone in my every everyone in my theater loved that. They they were clapping and and laughing and yeah, no standing ovation at the end of it. People loved that movie. It went you know in my theater audience, and I walked out of there shaking my head. I thought I thought that was a mess. Well, but to your point, that, that that movie has the second highest audience score ever for a Marvel movie. So. Yeah, people seem to love it. Well, my, my my kids love it, and I understand it was meant for a younger audience, and I get that. That's the whole angle that the the mouse is trying to take with it. But from a a nerd standpoint, that movie was a mess. All right, so we won't get too far in the weeds on that because people still got to see it. That that's another cast. Last question before we get into uh, Am I Full of Shit or Not? And I found some trivia about this movie as well as about Godzilla in general. So if someone told you they plan on watching this movie, how many beers would you recommend they enjoy? And we did pair this movie with Tricera Hops, so a prehistoric-themed beer for a prehistoric-themed movie. It's a double IPA from Ninkasi Brewing Company. Uh, pretty, Pretty good. If you like IPAs, I mean, it's a double IPA, so it's a little bit stronger, but good beer and it fit the theme i would say if you were going to if somebody said hey wizard 
you're a Godzilla guy. I'm going to go see King of the Monsters. What do you think? How many beers am I going to need to sit through that thing and ignore some of this idiotic stuff you've been telling me about? I'd say it's easily four to five beer film. Oh, yeah, four. Four. Easily. Now, on the plus side, knowing it's a four to five beer film, it's also a liberally bathroom break friendly film because nearly every scene without the monsters, you don't need to see. So don't feel bad. Anytime, anytime they zoom in on Friday Night Lights, hit the can. Yes. You're good. He's just going to whine about his daughter or some crap like that. So just go take a leak. You're good. He was John Everyman hero to the umpteenth degree. It was ridiculous. What I don't understand about his character's role in the movie is that he was clearly... So his wife is the eco-terrorist, right? She's the Captain Planet bad guy in the movie. Uh, well, you know, she's got the other the other, the, the uh, Game of Thrones bad guy that's pulling her strings, but she's effectively the bad guy. It doesn't really matter. So he's clearly compromised. So why is the mobile phone guy and the government using him as a legitimate resource? He's compromised. His wife and his kid are tied up in this. They shouldn't be relying on him for anything. Yes, not to mention he has, uh, he has no expertise with monsters. In fact, he's really just a photographer of wolves. <laughs> and, and a curmudgeon. He, he's, just, he's just, yeah... But they're like, but well, you know these two people, so you're the best thing we've got. And I'm like, this makes no sense. Like, he should not be involved at all. He is he's obviously uh, compromised because of emotional investments. You need to find someone else to help handle the situation. But no, they stick with him the whole time. Very tropey in that way of, why do you need me? Because you're all we've got. <laughs> it's like okay, yeah. you don't you don't have the boundless resources to track this incredibly unique piece of technology. Yeah, it, there's there are some gaps. There are some gaps. All right, so when we come back, am I full of shit or not? I've got a series of true or falses about this movie and about Godzilla. And one day, if we ever do another Godzilla movie, believe me, I've got plenty of Godzilla trivia. So we'll be right yes. back. So we are back on Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by RevengeTheFans.com. Quick plug. If you want to discuss this film, recommend any other films, you can find us on Twitter at HobsonBOFlops, or you can find myself at WriterTLK. And uh, again, we are drinking Triceratops Double IPA from Ninkasi Brewing Company. I will put that on the Twitter along with some of the facts that we do throughout the episode. So if you listen to last week's, which was Starship Troopers, I put a whole bunch of stuff on the Twitter in the thread to that episode such as like a video from youtube where they cross up triumph of of will with starship trooper so you can see how those scenes match up so we do do that stuff so things we talk about on the show i put on the twitter so you guys can see for yourselves so am i full of shit or not series of true true or false about this movie and as i said about godzilla number one are you ready chumpzilla i was born ready of the 35 Godzilla movies, this is only the third American-produced one. Yes. True. That's right. The others being True. the 1998 True. disaster yeah. directed by Roland Emmerich of Independence Day fame and 2014's, which is obviously the predecessor to this movie. Yep. Number two, Mothra was designed to resemble real moths and given longer legs in order to defend herself against other monsters. 
a quality real moths can do? Well, I'm going to say yes, only because I feel like they gave her longer legs in this movie than the previous ones, and maybe that was for a reason. So yes, true. True. She definitely had longer legs, but it looked like her body. Like, she was a very small monster. She was a petite monster in this movie. Yeah. So she looked overmatched. I will say, visually, they definitely gave her some love in this movie. She looked fantastic. I enjoyed her intent. Yes. Yeah. She looked good. Um, and, and I'm a sucker for Mothra. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I don't know why, but for some reason, I enjoy the fact that, you know, like Rodan is more brutal and Godzilla is brutal, but, but Mothra is more delicate and, uh, you know, ornate in her presentation. And yeah, they definitely hit that in this movie for sure. You know, she she got she, I, again. I feel like she had a little short change. I feel like she had a bigger moment, but I, I enjoyed the way they represented the character. It was all right. This may sound a little weird, but obviously Godzilla's design is the same as 2014's. He still looks a little chunky. Uh, Rodan, yeah. I liked the best. Rodan looked really cool, and I really Mothra had this majestic feel to her. Her wings look great in the movie. And I, King Ghidorah, I did not like at all. There was something corny about the head. Smog. All, all his faces look smog. That's yes, why. Yes, I did not like it. I just didn't. It wasn't original. It wasn't real. And they tried to give each head a little bit of, of uh, a character and an attitude, and it didn't land. Like They, they tried to do some like humor between the heads, and it was just kind of stupid. I feel like they wanted to give each head like its own personality, and it didn't. It didn't pan out. No payoff for it. Yeah, from what I read, the central head, the middle, is the is the chief amongst the three heads, and the other two are sort of morons. The point. The problem is, you don't know which head's which. You definitely saw one head scolding the others, but it wasn't consistent enough to. Like, it, it never made sense because often they zoom in so tight. On the, on the head. Yeah, it's, you it's, don't know which one. It's one's just like which. head one, head two. Yeah, yeah. They they tried to they tried to establish character with those heads, but it, it didn't make any sense in the end. Again, if you they would have dedicated more time to just the monsters, it would have been yeah. fine. Uh, so thirty five Godzilla movies, as I just mentioned. Yet this film marks only the second time Rodan and Adult Mothra have fought. True or false? Rodan and Adult Mothra. I'm gonna go true. It is false. And this is fairly cheap of me because it's actually the first time they fought. So if you remember uh, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, Mothra's in that movie, but she's in the nascent stage. She is not transformed. So she's just the worm. It's not a worm. Yeah, yeah. The larva. The larva. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, and this goes to your point of how ridiculous it was that these people, or one, that King Ghidorah even bothered himself with these people constantly. What's, what's, what's the other name for Ghidorah? It's King Ghidorah and... Monster Zero. Gohedra? No, he has another name. Well, Gohedra? Go, Gojira is Godzilla. No, no. King Godira, uh, King. Yeah, I, I, sorry. I, I digress. Go ahead. So in this film, King Ghidorah stands 521 feet tall making him 128 feet taller than Godzilla, who stands at 393 feet. True or false? Uh, true. It is true. 
Uh, this is actually the oh. largest American version of Godzilla. Uh, and also the second largest version of Godzilla ever. So it's almost 62 feet taller than Toho's Haisai version, uh, which stood 460 feet. Uh, so that's King Ghidorah, not Godzilla. But uh, Haisai Godzilla oh. was the era of 84 through 95. So there's Return of Godzilla, Space Godzilla, Destroya, those movies. Uh, and I'll send out a link to that stuff too. Gehedra. It's, it's Ghidorah and Gehedra. Okay. For the record, Gehedra. Okay. I feel better now. Sorry. I should have remembered that. Director Michael Doherty wanted Ghidorah to be of Earth, making his ambitions much more sinister, sinister than simple planetary conquest. He'd be cleansing the world of the filth that had destroyed it. True or false? That's very ambitious on the director's part, so I'm going to go with false because I hope that's the truth. It is false. Uh, so I guess <laughs> they knew from the start he he should be from off planet. Uh, although apparently they cut a little bit more of the scene where they discover his name and his origin, where they sort of debated if he was from space or created by man. I'm kind of glad they just went really? to space because if you're going to take the origin of Godzilla of being created by man and the weapons that we built to destroy each other and you give it to him, that kind of pissed me off. Yeah. Well, I'll go back to the whole point that they, they can't, <laughs> the fact that he can regrow ahead makes them question their grasp on reality. I'm like, I'm sorry. We have giant atomic lizards, but this guy regrows ahead and all of a sudden like, Oh, that must be alien. With all the uh, shit what? that is happening in this movie, that's the like oh yeah. well no way. It's like are you this, kidding? this is clearly not of Earth. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, there's a giant spider. Oh, uh, and 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 a, a giant and a, and a giant uh, uh, mastodon. It's like there's all sorts of weird shit. I mean, honestly, it's not it's not just a giant lizard. It's not just a giant lizard or a giant three headed lizard. It's a giant moth and a giant mastodon and there's yeah uh, sorry and considering all the abilities of each of the monsters it really doesn't make sense that this is the thing you'd question so doherty uh said originally in that scene it was sort of more open-ended the idea that they still weren't 100 percent sure what the records they discovered were pointing to but ultimately we decided to sort of plant our flag and the extraterrestrial concept, because I think that's the concept that most Godzilla fans love and embrace. Good job, Michael. Next question. This marks this marks the this marks the first time that Blue Oyster Cults, which you heard just before, the riff by Chumpzilla, 1977 single, Godzilla, obviously, is used in in a Godzilla film. Go go Godzilla. I think so. It is. That is true. Yeah. It was never used before. And that was a terrible cover. And that, that might have been the most shameful part of this whole movie. Because I can forgive a lot, but that cover was terrible. And you know the the worst part of that cover is the Japanese chanting is outstanding. That was a huge, 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 huge positive in terms of like an element to add to that with the riff, with the basic chord structure. But then the rest of it was terrible. Like, I thought that chanting was cool, but the rest of it, not great. I actually, I 
they ruined a couple of like those major musical moments where they added little flares to them where I'm like, this isn't as good as if you just would have used the original. It's like when Limp Biscuit covered Behind Blue Eyes. As far as I'm concerned, and this, this might be a little blasphemy here, BOC's Godzilla is the big trouble in little China of, uh, you know, 70s middling hard rock songs. There's no reason to redo it. It, it does not to be redone. There's, there's no benefit from trying to redo that. It's perfect. It's a perfect artifact of its time. Don't touch Big Trouble in Little China. Don't touch Godzilla. Yeah, as a quick aside, listen, Dwayne Johnson, you seem like a nice guy. If you go through with this remake of Big Trouble, you're the worst person on the face of the earth. Yeah, you're asking for all sorts of problems. No no good will come of that. Don't do it. The Chinese have many hells, Dwayne Johnson. Don't do it. All right, next question. In the novelization, it's stated that Kong did hear Ghidorah's call but chose to ignore it as he's unconcerned with what goes on outside of Skull Island. True or false? That sounds dumb enough to be true. It's true. And real boss move by Kong. Well, Kong, Kong is the man. Also, apes aren't known for their swimming, so maybe he's just like, uh, I'd like to come, but I'm kind of stuck here. He, he's got a bigger brain than the lizard guy, so what are you going to do? For certain. Uh, last one about this movie, and then we'll do a couple of quick general Godzilla trivia. So despite being a Godzilla movie, this is the second American movie to use the original Godzilla theme by Akira Ifukube. True or false? Um, well, we've had three American Godzilla movies. And I don't think the Matthew Broderick one did. So I'm going to say these last two did. So yes, true. It's true. But the last Godzilla movie did not use, use it. Ready Player One used oh. it in 2018. Whoa! So I'm 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 tech, technically wrong. Ouch. Yep. So um, the Ready Player One used it. Yeah, when Mecha Godzilla forms, the music is in there. Uh, I'd like to point out that Dave Chappelle also uses a, a song that samples the Godzilla theme in this Blackzilla skit, which is hilarious. Just for the record, doesn't in that Pharaoh Munch. Dun, 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 dun. It is very much. Yeah, Simon says. Yeah, dun, 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 dun. So, general Godzilla trivia. In the original 1954 movie, Godzilla's iconic roar was produced by rubbing a pine tar-coated leather glove over a double bass string. I thought it came from uh, uh, tweaking metal, so false. That apparently is true. Oh, is it? They might have refined it after that. No, I know, I know a lot went into that roar. Okay. Ouch. Ouch. That's Number strange. two of general Godzilla trivia. Godzilla's design has gone through many iterations. When he was first mm-hmm. created, though, they were firm in their desire to make him appear dinosaur-esque. True or false? Hmm. Okay. That's tough. That's tough. Toho here. Japanese. Strict to details. They want them to be dinosaur-focused. I'm going to go with uh, false. It is false. So, obviously, it's part of movie lore now, but the original idea for Godzilla was that he would look something like a giant octopus. 
ultimately, the producer, Tomoyuki Tanaka, which this was a smart move, decided to go with the dinosaur-like design instead. Wow. I'm shocked. I can't even imagine how... Well, I guess he's a horror of the deep. It's like 20,000 leagues under the sea. I know that was a giant squid, but that limits... I, I, I get it, but I, yeah. I can't, I can't see can it, though. I do. get it, but I can't see it. You know, because the, the octopus can't really... I guess they can be out of the ocean, but is that really the best? Think, think of the original end of Watchmen, right? Yeah. Yep. Anyway, that's what we're talking about. Giant space squid. But no, I... I, but I get it. It's an unspeakable horror. And I, I can understand how on one level you'd be like, okay, it's got to be this weird alien awfulness. But somebody said, no, no, no. Just, just make it a dude in a rubber suit. It's a dinosaur. It's coming to kill us. It's cool. Honestly, they probably out of necessity had to design something that would be easy for a person to be in. And cheap, yeah. But, but that adds to, I think that's one of the key things. It, it, it's relatable. Yeah. Right. It's relatable. It, it it's a tangible physical threat. It's not a weird uh, octopus monster, which is scary, but not as scary as a giant dinosaur breathing down your neck. You look at like King Kong, which obviously came out twenty one years before Godzilla, the first Japanese film, and yeah. one of the like the real, the whole film is a visual spectacle, and I'm going to talk more about that later, but. What makes it so scary is when he's tromping through New York and smashing things, and with an octopus yeah. like slowly like sliding through New York, you don't get that visceral that visceral like oh shit, we gotta run as this thing comes stomping through your city. So Godzilla may not have been produced by American film companies until 1998, but he was a prevalent pitch man for American goods before then. True or false? Oh, true. True. Yep. 85, he appeared in commercials for Dr. Pepper. Uh, apparently that soft drink was used in uh, the film Return of Godzilla and again in Godzilla 1985. And in 1992, there's a commercial where he squares off against Sir Charles, Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley. In a Nike commercial. I will post both of those to the Twitter, at Hops and Beoflops. Which is sweet, by the, by the way. Uh, two more to go. During an action sequence in 1964, the Godzilla suit accidentally caught on fire. That sounds legit. I'll go through. It did. Caught on fire. Uh, and the last one. A church of Godzilla, G-O-D-Z-I-L-L-A-H, was founded in dedication to the movie monster. True or false? Well, as a fellow... Chumpzilla worshipping uh, member of the society. I'll say true. It's false. Now, one does ah. exist. There's a church of Godzilla. Same spelling and everything. But they were founded okay. before the character. But, oh, in good humor, they do now have a steel wireframe Godzilla clutching a cross and a sign behind their church. That's legit. Because I can't emphasize enough how much uh, quasi-Christian uh, symbolism was in this last movie. Which was really weird to me. Like, he's never been associated with that. I'm, I'm telling you, you know, yeah, 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 uh, he, he was you know, Godzilla Jesus. Hey, he well, was fallen and then was raised again. 
Hey, as I against said, the demon the, uh, Godira. The the BVS comparisons are endless because those movies are very heavy on their religious symbolism. Yeah. Both Batman versus Superman and Man of Steel. So, when we come back, we're going to do name that kaiju. I have a series of multiple choice. I'm going to describe a monster uh, with my own description, not with some stock description. And we'll see if you can name which the correct monster. So name that kaiju. I'll do my best. We'll be right back. Here we are in our penultimate segment of this episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by RevengeTheFans.com. I am tasking Chumpzilla with naming that kaiju. So I've given him multiple choice. I'm going to give him a description. Can he get the right answer? Wish me luck. Number one, some people call me the space cowboy. Some call me the three-headed monster of love. Some scientists call me Monster Zero because, hell, I don't know. Who am I? Is it A? Ghidorah. Yeah, King, King Ghidorah. King Ghidorah. So that or was... Ghidra. That was the easy one. Number two. Hatched from an abandoned egg that was being poked at by a group of Kamakuras, which are giant praying mantises, on Soljel Island. I'm mostly useless, but I, but I like to rub my belly and blow smoke rings. Who am I? Wait, no. Is it A, Gigan, B, Mothra, or C, Minya? Smoke rings? Uh... Minra? Minya. That is Godzilla's son. So, son of Godzilla. Yeah, yeah son of Godzilla. Yeah, okay. Whew, that was yep. tough. So, they stumble, the giant praying mantises stumble upon the egg. Uh, I don't think technically it is Godzilla's son, but of course he takes Minya under his wing, and Minya is just a real yeah. pain in the ass. Number three. I look like a cat and am the dream world manifestation of some poor kid's real life bully. When push comes to f- shove, Godzilla wears me out like an old carpet. Who am I? Is it A, Gabara, B, Kumanga, or C, Batra? Kumanga. Incorrect. It's A, Gabara. Uh, Damn. He only appeared... I forget the name of the movie, and I'll post it, but there's a movie that's... Essentially, it's just a child's dream. Child's bullied in real life. He has a dream where he goes to Monster Island, befriends Minya, who's also being bullied by a bully of the same name, Gabara. And, of course, it's all about finding strength in yourself and sticking up for yourself. It's one of my least favorite of the Toho Godzilla movies because it's really not a Godzilla movie. Right? It has this kid as the central character. It's really not that good. Yeah. Number four. I'm a drunken buffoon from Faroe Island who draws strength from electrical currents and to this day make poor thunderous wizard shake his head in shame. Who am I? Is it A, Godzillasaurus, B, Destroya, or C, King Kong? Destroya. It's C, King Kong. Oh! So... I feel like you're trying to telegraph that and I missed it. Yep. Uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. Now, if you you know rewind twenty minutes or so, I've stayed. Got King Kong's my guy, and when they couldn't get another King Kong movie made, they turned to Toho to make Kong vs Godzilla, and it is 
on the scale, like, you know, obviously all these movies are people in rubber suits. You take them as they are. I friggin' hate that movie. I've always hated it. King Kong is like a purplish color. He gets drunk in one scene and fights an octopus. He has electrical powers. It's awful. And the last one. Life's tough. I was stolen by the Seatopians and used to guide their guardian monster in his destruction of the surface world. Like the Terminator, though, I became self-aware and laid the smackdown on some evil asshat monsters. Who am I? Is it A, Biollante, B, Jet Jaguar, or C, King Caesar? Biollante. Incorrect. Biollante is the evil plant monster. Ah! It's B, Jet Jaguar, who is sort of like an Ultraman uh, character. He's, he's a like, yeah. child's toy turned into a giant robot. I love Godzilla vs. Megalon, which I posted on Twitter earlier today. That's my favorite of the old Toho films because of Jet Jaguar. Also, Godzilla does this sweet sliding tail kick. It's fantastic. All right, so when we come back, we'll just do recommendations, and uh, we'll wrap up on this episode of Hops and B.O. Flops. That stings. That stings. So here we are. This is the end of our uh, big Godzilla King of the Monsters episode. We're going to do some recommendations. Chumzilla is licking his wounds after failing to name the majority of the kaijus in our big multiple choice challenge. But we will let him give a recommendation. What do you got for me? Oh, that's tough. This is tough. Because you didn't like Spider-Man. So. Uh, not a bad movie. just didn't really, didn't really stick it for me. Uh, let's see here. Recommendations. I'll let you think on it, and I'll do yeah. I'll do mine. So yeah, help me out here. I would recommend a Godzilla movie, but as I said, if you don't have any nostalgia for these, you're really not going to enjoy them. So, like I went back and I mentioned I was watching Destroy All Monsters. The suit stuff really doesn't hold up, uh, especially if you're like used to sort of higher end CGI effect and whatnot. But that said, what I'm going to recommend is two things. There's a documentary that's free on uh, Amazon Prime. It's called Long Live the King, and it's about King Kong, and it sort of chronicles King Kong's history in film. Now, a lot of that history sucks, unfortunately, but it does cover 1933's King Kong, and they talk about how revolutionary and groundbreaking that film was, and it really, really was. And that, that's not an understatement. You stop-motion animation which was a primary special effect used well into the 70s and is still used today. The film looks dated, obviously, but you can really appreciate what they were able to achieve in 1933. They talk about Son of Kong. I also love that movie, even though it's a little hokier. They talk about Mighty Joe Young, also a great film. Uh, then they kind of go through his, the rest of his history. But King Kong was a, was a seminal movie for me as a kid. But it's really a seminal movie in history, so I think it's really interesting to look at all that went into that. And then my second recommendation is just to watch King Kong from 1933. Now, there there's some dated elements that you could possibly uh, be a little troubling. It's not the most racially sensitive film, nor is it super sensitive with Kong and the woman, uh, their relationships a little weird and off-putting but at the same time like it's not really offensive like this is a 1933 film nothing terrible happens but he is uh he's overly aggressive with her in that movie 
but at the same time he falls for her she she humanizes that character so their relationship is important so i don't want to like say like it's all oh like oh you're gonna be so upset it's really not that bad but just to forewarn you it is there are some elements you're like ooh, ooh, but it's 1933 this movie the movie came out almost 90 years ago so it holds up to this day i watch it multiple times a year i love it i could never get enough of that movie so what do you uh recommend chumpzilla i don't want to be lame here and go with something stupid but uh I'll borrow something from your your vein here. I think you need to go back and watch Spider-Man 2. All right, yes. Best Spider-Man movie. It's it's a great superhero movie. It's a great Spider-Man movie. Uh, and you've got all the history that comes with the Evil Dead stuff coming there with the director at the helm. Um, go back and watch that because I think it does a good job of balancing... Not only the weight of the current material, but also the weight of the history of the characters, which I think is something, it's a stretch here, it's a stretch, but when you've got like Godzilla and uh, King Kong, those are huge weighty characters. You gotta find a way to work them into a film. I think Raimi did a great job in Spider-Man 2. Tom McGuire nails it and you've got and, and you've got Doc Ock. Come on. Like, that's, that's a huge task, and they nail it. It's a weird connection, but go watch that again and say, hey, that's how you merge Titans into the same vehicle without shortchanging either one of them. That's the best I got. Yeah, Alfred Molina is brilliant as Doc Ock. Now, this might surprise you. Now, again, this could be anecdotal, but just from the, the temperature I've taken recently on, on Twitter especially... Spider-Man 2 isn't as well-loved anymore as I think it deserves. And I think that's maybe because Ah. I'm older. And so this Spider-Man is really like the Spider-Man most consider theirs. Now, I I really liked Far From Home. I liked it more than Homecoming. Because a couple couple of the scenes I I think are really just uh amazing especially like uh, the trippy mysterio scene but i'm not going to spoil anything because i know it's relatively new but the problem i have with this peter is that i think peter's at his best when the weight of the world is on his shoulders when you know he's struggling he's he's balancing the responsibility of not only being spider-man but of of leading a normal life and he's you know, he has limited funds and he's always trying to make sure that Aunt May is taken care of and he's pulled he's pulled in a lot of directions, whereas this Peter, like, yeah, he's sort of pulled in a lot of directions, but it's pretty superficial because the direction is, oh, I really want to talk to this girl, and by the way, I have a suit that costs fifteen million dollars. You know, like trying to start paying for it. He's not as vulnerable to me because of that. And then in a couple weeks, we can reconvene and talk about some of the problems with Far From Home because there are problems. I liked it. I just happen to like it a lot more than you did. But there's definitely issues. Yeah, fair enough. But Spider-Man 2, fantastic recommendation. It's still in my top five. And I don't foresee it not being in my top five for quite some time. So, To your defense, Mr. Wizard, I will say I, I think it's going to get shortchanged because the, the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, they're great. Uh, they're not bad movies, and I think they're going to continue <laughs> forward. 
and they're getting a lot of attention. And that's that's sad because it's going to drown out the love for the uh, uh, the Tobey Maguire films because they're not terrible. The first two are solid. The third one, okay, that's garbage. We can all agree on that one. But the first two, solid. They're solid. He deserves recognition for those, but they're gonna they're gonna fade with time. And uh, I'll post a link to this as well. But Sam Raimi just did an interview, like this week. Uh, basically, like he, there's not a day that goes by where he doesn't lament the fact that he didn't get to redeem himself and redeem his version of the that, character. That third, that third movie could have been so much better. Yeah, and for those you know who big DC fans like myself, studio meddling basically destroyed what Spider-Man 3 was intended to be. Just like Suicide Squad became this, hey, let's make it Guardians of the Galaxy with all this like all this infused music and da 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 and you know, and it turns out it's a real shit show because there's way too many cooks in the kitchen. Spider-Man 3 there was a lot of mandates. He had to add Venom. They said you have to do these things. Venom should be in there cuz people love Venom. He said I don't you know, Raimi didn't particularly like Venom as a character. I don't either, so... Let, let's be frank. Venom is a stupid character. Yeah, I think he's terrible, but... I mean, uh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, if you like Venom, more power to you, but to me, he's way too 90s, and as a person who grew up yeah. predominantly in the 90s, the 90s were not a cool decade at all. There's cool nope. pockets of the 90s, but a lot of the '90s is try. It is the decade of trying way too hard to be yeah. edgy, and the whole Venom gang yep. with Rage wow. and whatever the hell the other ones' names are. It's it screams, "Hey, look, we're edgy!" Like, oh, this is this is super cool. It it's not. It's just not for me. I'm sorry. No, it's not. Yeah. Maximum Carnage is a is a train wreck of a book. It, there's nothing interesting about Carnage at all. He's a terrible, flat, one-dimensional character. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry, but he's... He's now... Uh, what's his face? Uh, Woody Harrelson? Woody Harrelson, yeah. yeah. Sorry, the, Batman can't jump. Perhaps the... Uh, I love Woody Harrelson. Fantastic actor. His wig at the end of Venom is a sight to behold. All right, so uh, thank you to Chumzilla for joining me on this Godzilla King of the Monsters podcast and I condemned the poor guy to see the movie after I knew it was sort of a mess and well thanks for having me Mr. Wizard I appreciate it it's it, it was quite the journey and we will return next week for a live from San Diego Comic Con obviously it won't air live because I'll have to edit it and whatever else but we'll discuss uh, the goings on and I was wrong Marvel is having a panel there So maybe we'll have some big news to discuss. We'll see you next time. Take care. See you then.